Wrestlers are artists. It's about choreography and timing and acting. It's all these art forms in one. And when I used to watch it, not only was I captivated by the wrestling, but I was captivated by the characters. There is so much crossover in the realm of queer performance and wrestling. That's why gay-themed characters have always thrived throughout the history of professional wrestling. A lot of queer people don't know their queer history, and the struggles that queer performers have faced in wrestling have never been discussed. Whenever I first got to Moolins, of course, I kept everything under lock and key because I didn't want her to know that I was gay. In the early days of Pat Patterson's career, being homosexual was illegal, and it was considered a mental illness. For them, it was always about being able to hide in plain sight. It sucks that it had to happen, but the people that kept fighting and fighting and fighting, like, they're the reasons why we're now what we are now. Joining us on Moving Radio today is a filmmaker that has their documentary as part of the Rainbow Visions Film Festival. Our guest today is Rye Levy, director and producer of Out in the Ring, which is going to be taking place at the Metro Cinema, the screening. It's the final screening of Rainbow Visions Film Fest. That's a big deal. You're the festival closer on November 6th at 6.45 p.m. As an added bonus, uh, Rye is going to be in attendance at the actual screening itself at the Metro Cinema on November 6th. Rye, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be coming home. We like the fact that you're uh, excited to come home, particularly in November. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, you know, I remember. I don't think it's... Uh... It's probably changed even a bit since uh, I grew up there. No, because in the 80s, it was uh, was a lot of snow. The film uh, Out in the Ring has already won Best Canadian Feature at the 2022 Toronto Inside Out Festival, which is high praise already. So I was excited to see this film because Out in the Ring explores the rise and history of LGBTQ plus professional wrestlers and representation in the sport itself. Uh, It seems like pretty heady material to get into. Uh, because I think the history is much deeper than many people would think who have not seen the film. So maybe before we get into a lot of details, can you let us know about the seeds of maybe this film, this documentary, and where it came from before it actually came to fruition? This film comes out of my own history growing up in Edmonton, Alberta in the 1980s on on a diet of Calgary Stampede Wrestling. That was, you know, the first wrestling that I ever encountered. And for me, it was always kind of the, it's always the wrestling that I think of the most fondly. When I decided I was going to make my first feature film, uh, I had uh, thought of a myriad of different uh, types of topics, things that I wanted to go down. And it just made sense to kind of go back to something that I had, you know, a rich kind of history with, but that I also could tie into looking at it through a queer lens. And wrestling looked like an obvious place to start because there was so little representation when the germs of this idea started in 2015, 2016. And in 2017, when I began shooting in that uh, in August of 2017, I was hard pressed to still find nine or 10 wrestlers that I knew of that were either out living or living or deceased. It became kind of, a, you know, a, it just a slow addition to the roster of people we interviewed and it would just go from you know an independent wrestler like a uh, um, gentleman named Scott McEwen uh, wrestles as Sergeant Dixon to you know cutting to eventually having you know basically now having to turn people away and having 
thousands of out wrestlers now. So, you know, the film is kind of a representation of that arc of history going from the 1940s to today, where we see kind of a boom and, you know, an increase in acceptance and just opportunity for queer wrestlers. Because what I found was really fascinating about the films that even though, like, I think I would know some things about wrestling and still kind of pay attention to it, right? That, you know, I'm aware of some people, but then there were other things in it where I was like, either independent people or people from the past was like, I had no idea that you kind of shine a light on in this film. It's it's an introductory history lesson, really, to queer wrestling. And there's so much for the audience to digest. Not that it's bad. It's just like, I feel like this could have been like a 13 part series. You know what I mean? And then. can you talk to the audience and maybe give us just a rundown of some of the personalities that kind of make the foundation on which you build the film on? Sure. I mean, you know, I think we start kind of, you know, we go back into the, you know, we start with this 1940s history around um, an era called the Exoticos, which is, uh, which comes, which is um, something out of Mexican wrestling culture and how that kind of transcended to create, you know, characters, you know, to inspire and um, influence characters like Gorgeous George, then we, you know, we kind of go through, you know, a period of, you know, some of the some important Canadian history in terms of, you know, people like Pat Patterson wrestling in the 1960s, Sandy Parker and lesser known performer, but no less uh, talented uh, wrestler, African Canadian woman from Vancouver. And then, you know, we interview legends like Susan Green, who are part of the were part of the WWF in the 1970s and have such a rich history. And then we have, you know, today's, you know, today's characters and wrestlers that, you know, we can you kind of sprinkle through personalities through the, you know, the 80s and 90s. But once you get into the 2000s, you start to hear about people like, of course, China and Chris Canyon, uh, both who tragically passed away. But now we've got a kind of boom out of those people who were inspired by them, many inspired uh, to not take their own lives based on knowing, you know, the, the history and surviving and not going that way, like Chris Canyon did, and people like Big Mike Pero. I mean, what's fascinating about Pero is, you know, he breaks so many stereotypes in terms of what we've seen as representation in terms of uh, gay LGBTQIA plus wrestlers, because he's not an effeminate, sassy, flamboyant character. He's just a very large big man who's very mean in the ring and he'll beat you up it kind of bucks the trend and we we kind of you know see great trans representation in performers like the dark Sheik, who also not only represents not only the trans community but is also persian uh, herself so she deals with you know the so many so much of the xenophobia and we we break into a little bit of that and there's just so many characters that kind of transcend this space because it's ever expanding and, and, and just, you know, creating, you know, this wonderful kind of, you know, mosaic of wrestling that, uh, you know, fits into the larger picture, but also has its own kind of sectionality off to the side where, where you know, they've created a world as well where there's a safe space for fans who want to support the LGBTQ community in wrestling uh, can feel safe and feel welcome. We are talking on Moving Radio today with Rye Levy. With the film we're discussing is called Out in the Ring. It's going to be featured as part of Rainbow Visions Film Festival. You can catch it on the big screen at the Metro Cinema on November 6th at 6.45 p.m. And Rye is actually going to be in attendance for a Q&A post-film. Uh, I think that should be really interesting because there's a lot to talk about within this film. I'm going to bet 
that there a lot of screenings, probably most of your screenings, where you get some people who are really illuminated as to um, the history of these people in wrestling and what they had to kind of fight through. And we're going to talk about that in a bit. But what I want to talk to you about first before we do that is just how did you pare this down? Because it just seemed like like I could only imagine you probably have an incredible already base knowledge for it before you get into the film. But once you started to peel back the layers and actually get to those interviews, you must have just felt like this could be out of control. Like this could be Ken Burns level material here. Um, talk to us a little bit about how you manage that to tell, you know, a complete story within a documentary feature film like this. You know, I kind of had envisioned an arc style framework for the film. I just knew that it had to be told in that kind of way and that we could kind of we could bounce a little bit around, but we tried to stick close, very linear in that way. Uh, I was kind of inspired by um, seeing a film like Disclosure, the uh, which is a documentary on the history of trans representation in Hollywood. Uh, I was really inspired by that filmmaker's uh, work. Um, Sam Fetter, he's a fantastic filmmaker, and I just thought that that was, you know, just a, I knew that I was dealing in a way with similar with a lot of interview footage and heads and archivals. So, you know, that gave me a bit of a framework so I knew how to go. The difficulty in there lies what stories do you cut out of somebody's, out, out of somebody's history? And in the toughest part, I think, in terms of the editing process for us, was when we had somebody like a Susan Tex Green, who encompasses so much history and is basically our, you know, our, our link, our physical link in terms of wrestling performers from a certain era uh, in this film. And just the number of stories that we had to cut out of her history that, you know, weren't necessarily, re you know, because we, we, all, we were cognizant that we were making a film about the LGBTQIA plus history of professional wrestling. And so we had to be cognizant of that, but there are stories involving Ric Flair and Sergeant Slaughter, her beating the fabulous Moolah. She has this particular story that she, you know, is absolutely wonderful story, but, you know, we had to leave that outside. So it was getting to the point, along with my, my amazing editor, Brad Webb, who, um, you know, was the best friend that this film could ever have had. And just the two of us over a two-year period going through and just basically paring down, you know, 45 hours of interviews and, you know, and, you know, f at least that in, in archival footage, um, not even counting, you know, what we do when we're scanning in articles and, and photos, uh, which, you know, don't necessarily count as, you know, video, you know, as um, archival movement footage. So there was just so much to get there. And I think the fact that we were cognizant of realizing we had a timeline to follow, we had a certain number of interviews that we needed to hit, we, we had a certain number of touch points we had to hit. And we also knew that we needed to stay to the true, true bare bones of the story, that this was a film about LGBTQIA plus history and pare those downs. And also, also realize that we had, in order to get it to an hour and 45 minutes from the 90 or so hours that we had, we basically made sure that we also had a heavy focus on as many people that were part of the queer community over, you know, allies for, for for example i mean we would interview allies backstage at a myriad of shows you know particular mike Perro. we had you know some wonderful performers you know people like you know uh, eddie kingston and, and zach zach saber jr who are major stars around the world and the truth is is it was just a kind of point of we have to remember that this is a film about these performers and unless we're, we're looking at a historian who's there to fill in kind of a 
a point in time that's integral um, and they happen to be an ally, uh, then they'll stay in. But that's, you know, that was kind of where we were, how we, we kept that, we really kept that streamlined down to get us to the uh, hour and 45 minutes. That's what I found was so uh, fantastic about it. And it's funny that you said Disclosure, which is uh, that documentary that was on Netflix, because uh, that was something that kind of popped into the back of my mind where I was like, I, it, it felt like that kind of sense of discovery at this point of like, I thought I knew something, but I didn't. And just how well you kind of illuminate the audience and uh, and draw them into these people's stories, even though they're incredibly complicated and do it so efficiently. One of the people that you interviewed, Valerie SoCal Wyndham, had something really interesting I'd like to say in one of your interviews. She discussed with having a more, this kind of fashionable presentation of wrestlers or the flamboyant character kind of made audiences gravitate even more towards them. You know, things that you talk about at the roots of it of somebody like maybe even a gorgeous George, right? Can you talk about what you discovered is that balance between giving an audience a presentation that is queer positive when it seems like a lot of those territories that were back in the day would never want anything known beyond like kayfabe. They were like maintain the personality, uh, that kind of older history of like, how do they balance those two things and not get the audience out of control? You know, wrestling's always, you know, and I mean, as SoCal Val so wonderfully says, you know, she talks about there were so many wrestlers that were generic and boring, and then there were playing, you know, there were performers like Adrian Street and such. And Adrian Street is a really good example because his primary career in, in North America, specifically in the United States, was in uh, the Mid South. It's a very Southern wrestling, very Texas, very Memphis, so Tennessee, where Jerry Lawler was. Again, you know, that's, you know, much like race uh, and xenophobia in wrestling, and even to an extent, you know, to a specific extent, extent, you know, sexism playing a major part as well in wrestling. But you know, you, you utilizing xenophobia, racism, and homophobia as easy as an easy target, essentially to create villainry. And wrestling, you know, it in during the you know specifically in the seventies and eighties, um, specifically the six, late sixties and seventies, often because they were doing kayfabe or you know keeping up appearances essentially bad guys versus good guys heels baby faces as they refer you know wrestling could could break out into something uh ridiculous and wild you know because people people would throw bottles at people people you know we hear stories of wrestlers in territories stabbing people uh throwing their cars out that was you know something that was rather you know that would be rather difficult in terms of how those personas at those eras would have happened uh, to be uh, utilized. Um, so, you know, I mean, there's, there's, again, there's a deeper story there in lying in lies of how they keep those things in line. I mean, the truth is, I don't think they cared because, you know, they, they often, you know, would, you know, incorporate these, you know, these types of tropes into other characters as well. Um, so, I think generally they just rolled with it and, you know, they, you know, they would deal with the, the after effects of, you know, crowd violence or aggression in, in lieu of, you know, ticket sales, you know, obviously, you know, as I said, the, the more heat you get, the higher up on the card you're going to get, the more ticket sales you can sell for a promoter. They don't care how they get there. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's incredibly complicated in the past, much less now. Rye Levy, director, producer of the film out 
in the ring is our guest today on moving radio uh, we're talking about this documentary because it's part of rainbow visions film festival and you can catch it at the metro cinema with ryan attendance on november 6th at 6 45 p.m you can get tickets at the door at the metro cinema you know it's such a complicated history when when you start to discuss the heat of that cheap emotional response from the crowd and the homophobia towards characters and the scandals that kind of embroiled the WWF in the late eighties. And some of these storylines that you look back on that either were things that I kind of, you know, I missed or didn't see and, and just how, how it just does not play in it. It's almost horrific as to like how they got away with these things. Right. Can you tell us how you discussed or can you tell us how you approach some of those more sensitive issues in the film? Because I assume this is a subject that not only you, but a good chunk of your audience and for sure the people you interview are deeply invested in. So uh, finding a way to be sensitive to those people that were embroiled in those storylines and maybe it wasn't necessarily by choice. It's, it's a living and it's their passion. They're trying to stay on that path. I don't think it's so much the storylines for the LGBTQ plus wrestlers per se themselves physically, because they weren't often given a storyline. And it certainly wasn't a storyline presented of them. Uh, where we get into the thorny issue around this is, you know, it's obviously the, the idea of queer representation as played by uh, usually white cisgender heterosexual males and, and women as well. I mean, and, but again, you know, most of these decisions are made by a lot of very, you know, middle-aged to older white men, Eric Bischoff, Vince McMahon. I mean, they're they're deciding where these storylines come. And this is where we end up with storylines like dubious, you know, late 90s to early 2000s hot lesbian action angle where, you know, you're parading just beautiful women and just having them make out on TV and then subsequently inflicting physical violence upon these women as they're kind of in a post-intimate scene. So, you know, there's a lot to unpack in those kind of things because obviously on the surface we see, you know, this exploitation of, you know, of, of women. This is exploitation of, you know, of a lesbian angle. But then you, you throw into it in some cases this violence that comes at the hands of these, uh, you know, these performers in the case of, you know, what they do to somebody, whether it's homosexual panic as well. I mean, you know, a character like Goldust in the 90s, going back as far as in, into the 80s with Adrian Street, the whole idea was to intimidate and use homophobia and people's fear in that. And there's some brilliance in the idea of utilizing something to get over like that. But on the other hand, it does, you know, set a very dangerous precedent precedent of, uh, you know, the, you know, of what, what that could trigger in people and what kind of representation that is. So, you know, the hope is now we're going to see stronger and more positive representations of LGBTQ people. You know, it doesn't have to be a love story. It doesn't have to be a romantic story. But I think the idea that, you know, we can portray LGBTQ people as the same beautiful, strong, you know, getting in certain cases of somebody like a Sonny Kiss or Nyla Rose, you know, the beauty of those performers physically, but also their physical talent, whether it's their power, their strength, their grace, uh, and Anthony Bowens as a world tag champ, half of the world tag champs now as an openly gay male in a committed relationship. Uh, Mike Perro married to his partner. I mean, we see these, you know, these different personas 
on TV and with that. So now that we've seen, you know, now we were hoping, you know, the goal now is to get to a point where uh, LGBTQ characters and performers in general, when, when showcased at shows or on screen can be presented as what the same way they should be presented. Um, other, those who are perceived as heterosexual in, in wrestling are as, as strong, as still strong, as still powerful, as still graceful, as still all of those things. And yet have you no, know, but still have that opportunity to be honest and living their truth. I thought one of the more powerful things he said was uh, from somebody that mentioned this in the film was dark chic and, the quote was that white man wrestling has had a great 2000 years insinuating that maybe the time is up for that a bit. I I thought that especially the last half of this film, you really found a great way to kind of encapsulate that. I mean, where do you think that LGBTQ S plus performers are headed? Like, will there be a time when this is even a conversation uh, and it's less about the controversy or the hurdles that people are trying to overcome and that audiences will embrace that. Cause I think that's what the beer fear has been is that companies are like, Oh, audiences don't want to see too much of this or talk about it. I think it's, no, again, it's another it's another thorny issue around you know who's got the bravery and it, and it shouldn't be an issue of bravery, but they who has the you know who has that bravery to step up and and be counted and prove to be a true ally. Uh, I think Tony Khan, on one hand, you know, in AEW showcases you know does a fairly good job of trying to do this, but then at the same time could shoot himself in his own foot in terms of the way he he references female wrestlers and the way he programs and books those people. The ownership at the top of the food chain, you know, was, you know, obviously Vince McMahon Jr. And, you know, obviously we all know his history is incredibly problematic uh, in terms of, you know, representations and his own, just as his own uh, peccadillos uh, in that sense. You know, the goal now is, that, you know, to see again, you know, that these performers have the opportunity to find a place to showcase themselves. Uh, it's obviously why wrestlers like Dark Sheik, know took matters into their own hands to create again you know spaces where they could feel welcomed and enjoyed and if it wasn't for her creating that space she may have not taken the same steps to in her own journey of coming out uh, as a transgender woman in the ring uh, or as at least in a promo after a match that's that's a huge and bold step she amongst you know significant others uh in the LGBTQ wrestling space have paved the way in a lot of ways and are, and are doing so because of their desire to see a different wrestling that represented them both uh, uh, in terms of their gender, in terms of sexuality, in terms of race, in terms of um, just in general, you know, enjoyment, you know, what socially they wanted to see and what they were hoping to present. Ultimately, the goal here is that, uh, you know that queer, you know, queer wrestlers will one hopefully get the opportunities needed and be presented properly. I think there's some question on how those people will are going to continue to treat us. But as uh, one of our wrestlers, Razor Clark, so eloquently said, though at the end of the day, only you as a performer get to separate who your character is in and out of the ring. No, it should not be in the hands of, of any promoter, of any booker. It should be you that decides that because that transcends wrestling. That's your own personal identity. And having to deny that in a world where we've already been told 
we can deny it. Um, and now we're supposed to be in control again would be just so, I mean, contradictory to what, uh, you know, what these people and these performers represent should be. The film we've been discussing is called Out in the Ring. It is the closing night film at the Rainbow Visions Film Festival at the Metro Cinema. You can catch it on November 6th at 6.45 p.m. Ryan Levy, our guest today, is going to be in the house to do the Q&A because, you know what, he just loves Edmonton. <laughs> Speaking of love, I hope some people from Love Wrestling are going to be out there because uh, there's a good, strong contingent of some great uh, wrestlers around town for sure too i love spencer love he's a good guy and uh, i've had the chance to do some great stuff with love wrestling and their uh yeah. online stuff they've been uh, fantastic uh allies and friends so big shout out to spencer they're doing a great job out there and uh, some of the other guys like zach ralph and lawrence cartier those are all uh, really incredible guys and uh and i think everybody uh there does a great job so edmonton's got a lot to be proud of in terms of its uh rebirth of a wrestling scene right now i think with uh, some rather fantastic performers and perfor you know promotions so kudos to them absolutely and we should be proud of a fine filmmaker like yourself right everyone i implore you whether you like wrestling or not i think you're going to enjoy the history of this i think you're going to enjoy the personalities within the film and i think uh, you're really going to take to the way that Rai has thread this all together to make it an incredibly comprehensive piece of filmmaking that was a lot to do. There was many balls in here you had juggling. So to put it together so concisely is fantastic. So I applaud you in this, and I can't wait to see the film with an audience. It's going to be great. Well, thank you so much for having me, and I'm looking forward to coming home, and uh, it'll be a fun screening, I'm sure. <laughs>